Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. All right, we're going to continue our series on wandering. Uh, And this is what we're looking at in this series is the journey that God takes his nation, the Israelites, from captivity to the promised land, the promised land. It's called that. You know why? Because it was promised to them. That's, it's not like some like, fancy wordplay. It's just it's the promised land, the land that God had promised to his people. And God tends to fulfill his promises. So he is bringing them on a journey, but this isn't just a physical journey that they're on. It's also a, a spiritual journey where they're learning to have relationship with God, and they're learning what this looks like. We, we get to the benefit of reading this and have the experience of many other people who have relationship with God so we understand what that's like. But these, these people, this is relatively new for them. They, we haven't seen God's relationship with a group of people on this scale yet. And so they're, they're walking through this, getting to know this God, where he brings them out of captivity and to his promised land, and he's going to be preparing them and transforming them to be his kingdom of priests uh, that he wants them to be, and so that they can glorify him and represent him to the rest of the world. And I, I hope as you're, we're going through this series, you can kind of pick up on the fact that this, this narrative that we're looking at, this, this time, this part of God's story, and is kind of a macrocosm of our own spiritual life. That at one point, we were in slavery and captivity, and God sent a deliverer to set us free. And he brought us through the water like baptism and, and began a relationship with us and, and is taking us to his land, his promised land of rest. But along the way, we're going to learn what it looks like to have relationship with him, to learn what it looks like for us to respect and love him and respect and love each other. And he's going to be teaching us that along the way. And that's just what it looks like for the Israelites, and that's what it looks like for our own personal journey. And so as we look at these Israelites and what they're going through, begin to look at your own personal spiritual life and how it connects to you. What lessons do we learn from them that we can apply in our own relationship with God? Uh, so that's, that's what this narrative is all about. And last week, we actually, we got to almost the end of it, it seemed like, because the Israelites make it to the promised land. And they do that within the first, like, two, three years. Uh, and, and so you think that, we know that this narrative t- takes 40 years, but they make it there within two to three years, and they send out spies to the promised land, and they find out that the land is great, it's amazing. It's everything God had promised them. It's, it's everything that they were looking forward to, but it's full of giants and fortified cities. And for them to go and inherit this land like God had promised them, they're going to have to fight. They're going to have to fight for this land. And they're scared, and they choose not to. And in fact, they grumble and complain to Moses and say, it would be better for us to die in this desert than go into that land. You know what God's response is? Okay. <laughs> That's what you're going to get to do. They complain, and Moses, actually, this is, was becoming one of my favorite stories. Moses has this interaction with God where he's like, forgive them. And God's like, okay, I forgive them, but there's a consequence. They don't get to enter this promised land. We're going to kill off this generation in this wilderness like they wanted. And then the new generation that rises up after them, they're going to get to inherit the promised land. Kind of like killing off the old self and bringing a new self in. You see the connections? So 
they begin this, this series of wandering for another 37, 38 years as, as they're this generation that chose not to enter the promised land slowly dies off, and the next generation rises up, um, led by Joshua and Caleb, and eventually they will get to enter the promised land. But now we begin this wandering from that moment where they chose not to enter. And one of the things, before we move on and talk about what we're going to talk about today, which I, I want to fixate on three pieces the next three weeks of what happens in this wilderness journey how God is teaching his people and preparing and transforming them. Today we're talking about provision. Next week we're going to talk about his presence. And the last week we're going to talk about God's punishment. That's going to be the awkward one that I'm still wrestling with God to, do I have to preach this? But anyway, um, but before we jump into that, one of the things I, I wanted to say is don't blame the giants for being big. That's what they do. That's what they are. They are big. You can blame God maybe, for giants being big, like they could have gone to God and be like, why did you allow these cities to be so big? And why did you allow these people to be so big? It's scary. And you can blame God if you want. I don't think it's going to get you very far, but don't blame the giants for being big. And the reason I bring this up is because I think, I actually, my, my wife told me a statistic last week that the next generation, uh, or no, uh, the generation becoming adults right now, Gen Z, this is the most atheistic generation that we have on record. And I think that we can look around at the world, and I, I've seen a lot of Christians do this, we'll look around at the world and, and blame the world for teaching and influencing and social media. And yeah, there's a lot of that out there. We can point our fingers all the many directions that we want to go, and we, we'll probably have a point. But what good will it do us? If you want to engage and help the next generation have genuine, authentic faith with God. If that is a burden and concern on your heart, don't point the fingers elsewhere. Look inward. I think we've been a little too afraid to face our giants. I think rather than engage in tough conversations that the world is bringing up, we've ignored them and, and, and just pushed them aside and said, no, we, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to deal with that. We're not going to enter into these conversations and, and wrestle with them together because we're a little too insecure with our faith. We've been too afraid to face the giants in the world and, and instead it, we're, we're pointing fingers and why are you so big? But if we really want to engage the next generation, we're going to have to understand that we're going to have to enter into conversations that we're uncomfortable with. We're going to have to embrace the fact that sometimes we're insecure in our faith and we're going to be, have to be honest about that. We're going to have to be having tough conversations where people are struggling with their identity or their sexuality and we don't know, we don't have a ton of answers and we don't really know exactly what we think sometimes and we're, we're a little scared to probe into that. And we're a little scared that we might lose people along the way. But I'm challenging you, church of the next generation, if we want to reach the, the kids that are, are becoming adults now, we got to get in the mess with them. We've got to walk alongside them and allow them the, the freedom to ask questions, even if we, we're a little scared because we don't completely know the answers ourselves. Don't blame the giants for being big. Don't, don't blame the world for being the world. Let's be the church. Let's dive into these questions and let's, let's engage with our, our young people and, and walk alongside them and ask questions with them. Sound good? Amen. All right. All right, we're going to talk about God's provision today. 
And I, I really just want to read the scriptures that point to what God was doing for the Israelites as they were going. This is a, a key moment in their, their journey because, well, and I say moment, but it was actually moments that each and every day God was providing for his people. And so I wanted to highlight all the different ways that God was providing for them along their journey and what that does for them in their relationship with him. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 13 first, verse 12, says this, I'm reading out of the ESV, uh, just so you know, you shall set apart to the Lord all the, am I reading the right one, 21, (laughs) I wrote it wrong in my notes, there we go, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And just so you know that that's not just one moment that God was leading them out of Egypt and that's all he was doing, I wanted to read Numbers 14, 14, which is actually, uh, I'm just going to read it from here, Numbers 14, 14. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is actually from the narrative where Moses is talking with God to forgive the people of Israel because they didn't want to enter the promised land. So we know that God's pillar of cloud and pillar of fire has been guiding his people through the desert. And so that's one way that God is providing for them is that he's guiding them. He's guiding them on where they should go. But have you noticed how he was doing it? How cool is this? When you're in the desert walking through, you know what's a godsend? A cloud. You're walking by day and you need some shade. And what do you got? A cloud guiding you. And then it gets cold at night. If you've been in the desert, you know that it gets scorching hot during the day and very cold at night. And what does God give them at night? Fire. Gives them warmth. He's not just guiding them. He's not just lighting the path for them. He's providing them. God's presence is providence. He is caring for his people just by being amongst them. So those are the first two ways that God is providing for them, that each and every day they wake up, and as they're moving, they're following this cloud, they're following this fire. And I I had like a mental image of like, what if you got to see like a fast track of this, you know, like one of those time-lapse videos of them just kind of chasing a cloud throughout the desert and wandering around. That would have been really funny. Um, Let's move on to Exodus 17, another way that God was providing for them. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Not even a please. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with his people? They're almost, they are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go, behold, I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah. 
because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So people are thirsty, right? This is actually one of three different narratives that we see in their wandering that they are crying out for water and God provides water for them. Uh, I picked the middle one. I, I get to decide what we read, and so I chose that one. Um, but I like that one. He, he takes the staff, he hits the, hits the rock as God commands, and water comes out. And so God has been providing for them water when they need it. And they, they get to this place. Remember, they just got rescued from Israel, or from Egypt. They got uh, pulled out. They saw the Red Sea parted. Uh, they got to see Moses leading the people with the cloud of, of uh, leading them by day and the pillar of fire by night. And so they are they're getting to see God take care of them, but they're still questioning him. And they're still questioning whether he's good and stuff. And so they get thirsty. And before you judge them too harshly, I know we can read them and be all dramatic, but I ask you, when was the last time you were hungry or thirsty? Did you have a great attitude I know, I know that I sometimes can get a little, just a little dramatic when it comes to certain moments in my life. And, and before we, we get, we condemn these Israelites for why didn't you just kill us before, you know? I, I feel like we've probably all said something along those lines in our relationship with God at some point where we we're just pretty dang dramatic about something. And remember, they're in the desert, they're probably really thirsty. Uh, So there is a bit of drama there, but God provides for them and he gives them water. We're actually going to back up and see how God provides them food in uh, chapter 16. We're going to jump through chapter 16 uh, just so that we can save some time. So verse 2 of chapter 16, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. We're going to jump, jump ahead to uh, verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came. Quail in the desert came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew laid on the camp. And when the dew had gone up, dew in the desert (laughs) had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. In verse 35, it's the end of the chapter. And the people ate the manna, 40 years, manna is the bread that was rained from heaven, until they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. For 40 years, 40 years, God provided them manna and quail. Every night they would have quail just descend upon the camp because that happens and God's just providing them meat. It's Kentucky Fried Quail every night for the Israelites. Probably got a little repetitive, but you know what? God's providing for his people and then every morning they wake up and God's raining bread from heaven. 
there's dew in the desert, and all of a sudden there's now bread. And they talk about it. It's like these little wafers that, that taste of honey. I think of vanilla wafers every time. I don't know why. But there's just these, these little flakes on the ground that they can gather and they can eat. For 40 years, every day, there's generations of children raising up to know that God provides for them, is taking care of them, is going to feed them because they see it each and every day. When they're thirsty, God gives them something to drink. When they're hungry, God gives them something to eat. When they're, when they're hot and, and the sun's beating down them, God's presence provides shade. And when they're cold at night, God's provi- presence provides light and warmth. God is providing for his people each and every day uh, during their wandering in the desert. What does that do for them? What does that mean? Well, we just talked about this generation that did not want to enter the promised land because they didn't trust God. But the generations that are, are rising up and the generations that he's going to lead into the promised land, the generation that he's preparing and transforming to trust him that will be his kingdom of priests that will reflect him, that generation is going to live every day of their life where God is providing for them. Probably if you think about the manna, you, you'll think about Jesus's, when he, he says how to pray, he mentions that we have to remember to ask God for our daily bread. I have to imagine that that's exact, this is what he's referencing, this manna that we are trusting that God will provide for us each and every day. And did you notice that God tells them that he's going to test them in this? He's going to test them in this. Why? And what, what he actually tells them to do is, I don't want you to collect more than you need. Only collect the food that you need for that day. The only day that they're supposed to collect more is Friday because Sabbath is the next day and they're not supposed to work on Sabbath. So he tells them to collect double on Friday. But every other day, collect only what you need. Guess what? They fail. <laughs> not all of them, but a, a good chunk of them make the mistake of trying to gather more. Why? Because they want the security, right? They want the security of gr- grabbing more so that they can know, like, oh, it's okay. It, just in case God doesn't come through for me tomorrow, I've got this. I'll, I'll, we'll be okay because I, I grabbed more today. So smart. It becomes moldy immediately, and God, God punishes them. Because what God is looking for from this generation and from his people, the kingdom of priests that will reflect him to the world, what he's looking for is them to trust him every day to know that tomorrow he will provide for them the way he provided for them today. To not store up things for themselves so that they can trust in their own abilities, but to trust him each and every day. That's what he's looking for from his people. That's the generation he's trying to raise. That's the nation he's looking to. And that's what I think he still wants from us. That we are praying for our daily bread and not more than that. So let's look at these stories and see some of the the common things and what we can learn from them. Remember, this is kind of a, a macrocosm of, of our own spiritual life. So what, what they're going through is what we're, we're going through. First thing that they do is they don't trust God. Notice they grumble. They grumble every time and they're afraid. They don't trust God. They're grumbling and they're, they're afraid that God won't provide for them. They're afraid that even though God has done some incredible things up to this point, to get them out of Egypt, to provide for them along the way, they still don't completely trust him. And so they're, they're afraid. And so they, they ask him, they, they complain to Moses and they say, it would have been better if we just died already. It would be better if we were back in Egypt. And so they, they complain because they don't trust God. Despite 
all the things that God is doing for them, despite all the ways that God is providing for them, they still don't trust him. Uh, and notice another thing. This one actually comes from Jolene. She, she pointed, my, uh, pointed my eyes in this direction. But who do they complain to? Who are they grumbling against? Not God. Moses. They're complaining to Moses because they don't have a relationship with God. They don't, even though they've seen God do some wonderful things, they haven't really started this relationship with them, with God personally. They've been doing everything through Moses. And so when they complain, they're not complaining to God because they don't have that relationship. They're complaining to Moses. Moses is the problem. We got to talk to Moses. It's him. It's his God. You notice that? It's his God. Not their God. It's his God. So they're complaining to Moses. Another thing that they continue to say is that we wish we were back in Egypt or wish we had died in Egypt or we wish we could go back. They're remembering the good parts of the slavery and captivity that they were in. Pay attention to that because I think that happens to us constantly. It's really easy to look back at times before and remember the good times when you're going through struggles now. You forget sometimes about the struggles you went through before. Right? Women understand this. Every time you have a, a, have a child, and then someday later you want another child, and you have to go through all the, the pain and agony again. I'm just kidding. No, that's, it's a beautiful thing, and we appreciate you for doing it. But they, they remember. They remember what life was like, and they're hungry, they're thirsty, and they're looking back to Egypt, even though they're in slavery, and they're like, you know, I want to go back. I wish we were back there. At least we had food. Yeah, we were, we, we were slaves, but big deal. You know, who cares? We cried out to the Lord then, but we didn't understand suffering. Now we do because we're hungry and we're thirsty. It would have been better if we had stayed in Egypt. And the other, the other thing that I want to point out that is true in all of these stories, God still provides. Despite their doubts, despite the fact that they said, I wish you had never come to save us, despite the fact that they don't have a personal relationship with God and they're complaining to Moses and not to him, he still provides for them. He still cares for them. He still walks alongside them. He's still guiding them. He's still uh, providing shade and fire. He's still giving them water. He's still giving them manna every morning and quail every night. God still provides. So those are the, the four things that we see in those stories, and I want to talk about what that means for us. What do we learn from those four things? First thing I want to talk about uh, for us to learn from the Israelites is if we want to learn to trust God in his provision, trust in his daily bread, we have to not look forward, but look around us right now. I promise you this, God is providing for you. Right now, God is providing for you. He has been providing for you each and every day of your life. I know this because it's who he is just like the Israelites had God providing for them each and every day. Yeah, you may not wake up and have bread on the lawn, but I'm pretty sure you wake up and there's food there for you. And I'm pretty sure you wake up and you have oxygen to breathe. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of different ways that you could look around your life and see how God has been providing for you. You want to get better at trusting God so that you can enter the promised land and face the giants ahead. Start learning to recognize how he's providing for you right here and right now. The issue that I see is that a lot of us will put on our, our prayer requests or things that we have going forward. We'll have a little menu of, God, 
I will trust you and I will believe in you if you accomplish A, B, and C. Once you have these, I will know that you, you are there for me. You are providing for me because you're, you're taking care of me. Here's the things of, of how to take care of me. We put together that list and, then, and maybe God fulfills it. Maybe he, he has different plans for us and we just don't know better. Uh, but we put together that list and we're always looking for, forward to the way that God should be providing for us. And we, we want God to provide for us, but our trust doesn't grow. Why? Because guess what? When, when we get there, we forget about it and we say, okay, God, yeah, you gave me food and I was hungry. Thank you. Now I'm thirsty. You want to trust God, stop looking forward to the ways you want him to provide for you. Start looking right around you to how he already is. Look to the past to how he has before. Because I promise you, if you do that, if you start to recognize the way that God is already providing for you and has provided for you, I promise you, you'll trust him more going forward. It's kind of like a, it's a never-ending trust fall where you're, you're walking backwards, looking at all the ways that God has provided for you, knowing that he's going to take care of you in the future. I know we're a forward-moving society in America. We like to move, we like to look forward and be goal-oriented about what, where we should go. But God is calling us to trust him that he will take care of what's ahead. We've got to worry about that. What we can remember and what we can trust in is how he's already provided for us. That's what God is calling his people to. And that's what he wants us to be like. We want to be a people that trust in God's provision. We got to start recognizing how he's already providing for us. So that's, your, that's one of your practical takeaways. You want to, to work on your trust and faith in God, start keeping a, a list, a diary of all the ways God is providing for you right now. All right, next thing. Complain to God, not to anyone else. And I know this sounds weird. Your pastor is telling you you should complain to God about what he's not doing for you. <laughs> I'm giving you that permission because it should be your relationship with God. He should be your God. You should have a personal relationship with him. And if things aren't working out, I think it's best if we're going to complain, if we're going to struggle, which we are, let's be honest, if we're going to struggle, we're going to complain, let's bring it to God, recognizing that he's in control and we have a personal connection to him. Let's not go through a medium of someone else's God. Let's not put some layers in between us and God. Let's go directly to God and complain to him. And what I love about this is God listens. He listens, he wants relationship with you, and even if that means that we got to start off by bringing our complaints directly to him instead of someone else, then we should be complaining to God. The, the Israelites complained to Moses because they didn't have a personal connection with God. We have a personal connection with God. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit with us, and we can complain straight to God. I don't know how much good it's going to do you, but I do know this, it's the right direction to go. And when you have that relationship, you establish a personal relationship with God. It leads to more trust and faith in him. Uh, the next piece is that we, the third piece, that we understand the journey we are on. And we don't turn back. Like I said, they, they begin to struggle in the wilderness. And they wish they were back in Egypt. And, it, and I, I know that, that there's a temptation that we, we think, oh man, how foolish are they? Didn't you see, don't you remember what it was like when you were enslaved? Don't you remember how horrible that was? It's so much better to be free and God's going to provide for you. We see these people, but I bet you there's, 
there's angels in heaven looking at us being like, don't you know how God has provided for you? Don't, why are you wishing to go back to your life of sin? We, we can look back and remember the good times and remember the moments that were good in our journey. And I've seen this time and time again where we begin our relationship with God, we cry out to him and we recognize that we need salvation, we need to deliver and we get delivered from it, but we don't always read the fine print that there's a long journey of sanctification ahead of us, that God is going to prepare us and transform us, and a lot of that means dying to the old self and beginning anew. And we don't recognize that all the time, and so we begin our journey and we start to struggle, and we'll be like, wait, God, you saved me from struggle. I'm not supposed to ever struggle again. But it's a long journey ahead. And if we want to learn from the Israelites in our own spiritual journey, then we have to recognize that when God saves us and God calls us out of our life of sin, it's not not going to be necessarily an easy road ahead. There's going to be a lot of times where we're going to have to learn to trust and build this relationship with God. The farther we go, the more we, we experience how he provides for us, the more we trust him, the better it gets. But don't constantly be looking back to the life you had before, wishing you could be there again. And the last thing, the fourth thing, is that God has, is, and will provide for you. He's doing this all the time. God is always providing for you. This is the one awesome thing that I I love that I've learned this in my relationship with God is that despite how faithless I can be sometimes, despite how many times I can fail, fall short, of what God is calling to me, despite how many times I doubt him, despite how many times I complain, despite how many times I look back at my life before, guess what? God is still faithful. And I'll say this because it's an important thing for everyone to learn. God's faithfulness does not depend on our faithfulness. And how cool is that? That God is faithful. We believe in a God. We have a relationship with God that is faithful no matter how unfaithful we are. It's an important lesson to learn because I think one of the best ways that we can stumble on our journey and lose our faith and trust in God is when we stop believing that he is faithful to us. Believe this, know this, God is always faithful. He has, is, and will continue to provide for you always. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.